we, uh, we pray for those who are leaving. And it was fun hearing Bethany sing. I remember when our first year here, we had a worship band at Grace, remember? And we sang. And I remember her teaching me all kinds of cool songs. And she graduated, and now she comes back, and she's still singing beautiful, and it's awesome to see. And so it's part of how life works, isn't it? All right, let's um, take a minute and just pray, and uh, I'll introduce our... We have a guest speaker this morning I'll introduce, but let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, and uh, we do pray for uh, so many people in our community and our church family who are in the midst of transitioning back to their home countries and other assignments. Lord, we, uh, we miss them. And this past week for us has been a lot of goodbyes. And uh, it's, it's painful at times to have to say farewell to people we've, we've grown to love and who have been such a part of our life. But it's how things work here. And Father, we thank you for the hope that one day we will be uh, together as one huge family in, in eternity. And Lord, we thank you that you have called us to oneness in Christ. You've called us to be a family. And so we pray that uh, even today, the people sitting around us, Lord, we would pay attention to who they are and we would um, take the time and effort to get to know them as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we pray for your word this morning. We pray for Walt as he brings it. We ask that you would just speak to our hearts and uh, open up our spiritual ears to hear what your spirit has to say from your word. And we just thank you for all that you do to guide us and teach us, uh, to bring us in line with your truth so that we can live more fully in line with your purpose and will. Lord, that our lives might bring glory to you. And we just give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who have been a part of CCF for many years, will remember back to the Pucom days, also known as the Aircon Church. And uh, a good friend who was a part of our fellowship then uh, was Walt DeMoss, and he uh, eventually graduated from high school as well and went off to Moody. And uh, he's now ministering in China and uh, starting up a ministry there. And uh, he's back here in Chiang Mai for a few weeks, and so he's going to be sharing the word this morning. So let me welcome Walt. Am I on, Michael? Am I on? Am I on? Am I on? No? The switch is on here. Are there two switches? Am I on now? I'm on. I had a chance a few days ago to speak to a crowd, and when I I walked up and I turned around, it felt like there were about 10,000 people out there. It was very intimidating, so it's really nice that some people have weeded out this morning and a little bit smaller crowd. And then to make matters worse, I get up there, and I, I must have said about one sentence, and then this paper started falling from the ceiling right on top of my head. That was not good. So I lost just about lost all my opening. I still think uh, Chad Adams and Michael Robertson were behind that. And uh, how they pulled that off when they were sitting up on stage, I'm not sure. But they're very smart guys. So watch out for them um, as you go on. Yeah, it is very good to have the chance to be here this morning and share with you something that God has been teaching me about in in recent days. Um, but before I tell you what that topic is, I'll share a, a quick joke with you. And uh, Fred and Joe went out hunting in the morning, and late in the evening, everybody else was back at camp, but Fred and Joe had not returned back yet. And then Fred shows up with this deer on his back, calls the thing into camp, and his buddies say, where's Joe? 
And uh, Fred said, well, he's, he's three miles back on the trail. He broke his ankle. And his friend said, well, you left him there? And Fred said, yeah, sure. I figured nobody would take Joe. <laughs> so the, the topic this morning is something that I'm really an expert in. And before you think that that's arrogant, um, the topic is self-deception. Uh, the topic is um, lies that we believe and I'm not so much talking about lies that Satan specifically tells us, which that's another form of lies that we can believe. But we're going to talk this morning and look at a few places in the book of John about lies that, that we believe that, that are really come from ourselves, come from habits maybe we've developed or ways that we've grown up. So we'll look at a few of those. I think that this idea of self-deception and continuing in self-deception is a lot of the story of the entire Old Testament. You see a group of people that God loves and God proclaims his love to them and then slowly they begin to believe that God's not good enough and they fall away and God brings them back and again they begin to believe, well, God's not really enough and God's not good enough and believe their own things and fall away again. So this idea of self-deception and things that we begin to believe that cause us to fall away is, is a story of a lot of the Bible and it's amazing how God proclaims that and continues to show his mercy and grace to us. I'm reading a book right now called Lies Women Believe. And, and uh, if you think that's strange, why in the world is he reading that book? It's actually for graduate class I'm taking, and I have to read this book. And it's written by Nancy Lee, Nancy Lee DeMoss, and she's not my sister, not any relative as far as I know. But she makes a really neat statement in the beginning of her book. She says, all lies, all, all sin that we have, have their root somewhere in believing a lie. If we grab for something that's not of the Lord, that's some sin, it really comes because we believe something. We believe that, that this thing might offer us something more than what God offers um, to us. I thought that was really good. So I think it's important that we ask ourselves on a very regular basis, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with Jesus? Am I being honest with other people? So we'll look at a few occurrences this morning in the book of John. We'll start in John 7. And I have five kind of different um, self-deceptions that we might look at this morning. And I will not talk for 50 minutes, so don't worry, just because I have five, a five-point sermon. Uh, any two of these points I can throw on the altar at any moment if the eyelids are coming down at high speed. I'll keep my eyes open. Um, just go ahead and give me the nod. That'll be the, that'll be the clue. John 7, 50 and 52, we find a, a case where the Pharisees were discussing who this Jesus was. He'd come on the scene, he'd made a big stir, and there's one guy in the room there, a guy named Nicodemus, who we know back from John 3, had had an interaction with Jesus already. Here it says, Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? And they, the other Pharisees, answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And I call this the deception of established wisdom. And there's a deception that we can fall into where we have, we have so clearly figured something out in the scriptures that we just know that because this is true, this cannot be true. And so we are prone to not seeing some work of God in our lives or in somebody else's life because we know that God doesn't work this way. I've already had this figured out. Now, you might think, or we have this image sometime of the Pharisees as being people who were aggressively after Jesus. They, they knew that they were wrong, but they just wanted to kill this Jesus because they were proud, arrogant people. I think that might be true of some of the Pharisees. 
But I think there's the possibility that the Pharisees really believed that they were doing right by God. And they really believed that, that this was a false prophet. Just like we look at other people and say, that can't be of God because it doesn't line up in a certain way. And, and we're right a lot of times when we do look at a cult or some other thing and say that's wrong. They were doing the same thing. They were trying to protect um, the faith of Israel. But they were deceived because Jesus did come from Galilee uh, in a way. So that's the deception of established wisdom. And if you look through church history too, you see the Reformation, you see the church kind of through church history has been through several cycles where they begin to believe something and get very firmly entrenched and then God, by his mercy and grace, brings it back. And so the Reformation brought the church back to a more honest evaluation of the scriptures and our relationship with God. And that's happened several times through history. God continues to refresh us by his mercy, continues to show us where we've sort of wandered and gotten very entrenched in, in our way of seeing things. John 9, another case, um, here, again, it's pretty much the whole chapter here, is a story of a man that gets healed by Jesus, and then the Pharisees begin a very serious investigation. Lots of questions about who this Jesus was and how did this thing happen. But it even starts out with the wrong question. Here, here we're looking at, I, think, I call it the deception of inquiry or the deception of questions. We're very good at asking questions of the scripture and that's good and we ought to. But sometimes we don't ask the right questions or we ask questions that give us the answers maybe we want to hear. And because, again, because of our history and our training maybe, we know not to ask certain questions, but just to ask you know, these questions about the scriptures. So the disciples, they start off by asking the wrong question. His disciples asked him in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he'd be born blind? And Jesus said, it was neither he, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So when we ask questions of the scripture, we have to make sure that our questions are broad enough that we haven't limited. You know, here they were saying there's only two possibilities here. You have a blind man, only two possibilities. He sinned or his parents sinned. That's the only two ways this could happen, and we've got that figured out, and I'll show you the theology textbook that proves that. But Jesus said, no, 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 it's none of that. There might even be something more going on here. And the Pharisees, they ask questions too, and you'll notice the deception in the way that they ask their questions. Then the Pharisees also were asking him, this is the, asking the blind man, how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. And again in verse 24, they asked this question. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And then they asked him again, you know, how did you get... How do you get your sight? So you see, they already had, when they asked the question, they already had this framework where the answer to the question could only come in a certain way. Their question was, the assumption is, this man's a sinner, therefore, tell us again how it worked. Make sure your answer fits into our way of thinking. So this is the deception of when inquiry, when we have the scriptures kind of figured out, we, ask, we can ask questions in a way that only allows the answer that we want to hear. When I... Um, and it's, it's our own blinders, kind of our, maybe sometimes the way that we think that keeps us from asking questions outside of our range of vision. For example, we all know, and I have to use a math illustration, I'm a math teacher, we all know that 2 times 5 is 10, and uh, that's not very surprising. So if I ask the question 2 times 5, what is that? You would all say 10. 
And if I said, what is 2 times 5, and someone said 12, we would think they were, that's not right, that can't possibly be so. If you need the proof for that, again, just ask one of those guys at the back. But, but, what if I asked the question, how many people could you feed with two fish and five loaves? Five, maybe three, four. What about 5,000? Is that possible? I think it's possible. One of the greatest trainings for me in asking questions about the scriptures and in learning from the scriptures was when I worked in Chiang Mai here with a lot of your kids with the students because we, we did something called inductive Bible study and so the students constantly asked questions about the scriptures. And they asked questions I knew you weren't supposed to ask. They asked questions I knew that were silly to ask. But wow, it taught me so much because they would ask a question and oftentimes I'd say, wow, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's possible. So there's a lot to be learned from people who ask questions from a, from a, you know, with new eyes and stuff. So be willing to listen to those um, people who ask them questions about the scriptures, even if you think they're silly. The second or the third point here is the deception of hearing. The deception of hearing. This is John 13, 1 to 22, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a very famous passage. Jesus is kind of his last time with the disciples in the upper room. And it says, having loved them, he loved them to the end, and he washes their feet, which was a real shocking thing for them. And at the end of that, he gives them a, a little talk here, and I'll, I'll read that to you, starting in verse 13 or in verse 12. It says, do you know what I've done to you after you just washed their feet? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I don't speak to all of you. I know the ones I've chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives, whomever I send, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. So Jesus gives them this amazing talk after he had done this example of washing their feet. This amazing, amazing talk. You know, if I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. And then at the end he talks about, again, what he said to them before, that he would be betrayed. And then notice in 21 and, and 22, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know which one he was speaking. So the thing that really triggered their response in their hearing, Jesus had said two things. One, this idea of washing one another's feet and serving one another and loving one another and that there would be a betrayer. What was the thing that they latched onto, that they grabbed onto and began to discuss? It wasn't the part about serving someone else because that was maybe a bit, that's a bit hard. But this idea of there being a betrayer, well, that's good. That's good stuff. That's, you know, we're going to someday take over the world and rule the world with Jesus. So we need to know who these, these uh, traitors are. Let's weed them out. And they were always worried about who was, at, who was on top and who was going to be in charge and who was going to sit by Jesus. So that's the deception of hearing. We, we oftentimes, when the Lord would speak to us or when we read the scriptures, which is where he speaks to us a lot of times, we really only see sometimes the things we want to see. We see maybe the things that we're good at, like judging one another and finding out who the traitors are. That's the sort of thing we sometimes cling to. So when we listen to the scriptures, uh, we need to make sure we hear exactly um, what really is there. 
Another case of deception here, um, and this is something that I've never seen before, and so I'm calling it an insight, not an interpretation, uh, just an insight. John 18:28. here's the Pharisees again doing one of their good numbers. It says here in John 18:28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. And as I was working through John a few months ago, and I kept um, seeing this self-deception that was, that was in the Pharisees and in the disciples and even in my own heart, I saw something in here I'd never seen before, that in the very middle of their sending Jesus, an innocent man, to be killed, they were still concerned with their own righteousness. So there are times when we can think ourselves very righteous. I'm doing all the right things. And in the very midst of that, something can be going on in our lives. Why? Because we're blind to that. We're not willing to see that, that, that this isn't right, that we could be in the middle of some kind of sin and at the same time very concerned with our own righteousness. This was really brought home to me as a young believer. I'd been a Christian, I'm not sure how long, six months or so, and I was back at my family's house for a break. And I had been mean to my brother as a child. I was now about 19, and when we were young, I was pretty mean to my brother. And I came back, and I was telling my brother I'd become a Christian, and all this great stuff had happened in my life, and, and I made a lot of the same mistakes a lot of us maybe made when we're young Christians and we try to win our family to the Lord. And my brother said to me once, he said, look, he said, you might be a really nice Christian up around your friends there at Penn State, but when you're back here, you're the same devil you always were. And I was, wow, I, I, this, was, this was my example. Here I was, treating my brother really quite badly still, as a, as a young believer, still entrenched in these habits, but on the other side, telling my brother he needed to become a Christian, and all these things were great. So this, when I read this this last time, it, it just was, reminded me how easy it is for us to be blind to areas of sin in our lives. You know, someone might be out saving the world and on the other hand be still very mean to his children for 20 years. So there are areas in our lives where we're, we are susceptible to that. And it's only by God's mercy and by our asking the Lord to reveal those things to us where, where he continues to, to grow us and to teach us. And those areas don't become hardened and long-term areas in our lives. John 20, verse 19, another example of self-deception, and this one may be more, more of a stretch. Again, it's just a possible insight into um, this passage, which again, I, I was more sensitive to this last time through the book of John. John 20, 19 says this. This is after Jesus had died and he had risen again, and a few people had seen him, but there were still some you know, questions going on. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now you might be thinking, what kind of deception is that? You know, here they are holed up in this you know, upstairs apartment or something and uh, Jesus comes in. But it dawned on me that throughout the time that Jesus walked with his disciples, he continued to tell them, I'm going to die. And they continued to still believe what? That he would reign, that he, he was going to still lead this revolution, and they would rule with him. So I have this possibility to allow in this passage 
that the reason that they had locked themselves in this room for fear of the Jews, now if Jesus, their leader, was dead and gone and he was the center of their organization, then they could just go back to their lives and everything would be fine. I think that they possibly still believed the revolution was possible. I think that they, knowing that Jesus had come back, thought, this is still going to happen. We're still going to reign with Jesus right here. And so just like any good revolution, you know, revolutionaries, they tend to you know, huddle up in back rooms and, and uh, make plans for the revolution and for taking over. I remember reading um, Les Mis about two years ago now, and he does an awful lot of really neat stuff talking about the revolution in France and, again, all these secret meetings. And I thought possibly this, I'm calling it the deception, the deception of our plan or of clinging to our plan. I think, and the one before that, the point before that was the deception of righteousness. Um, I didn't say what that point was, but this is the deception of clinging to our plan. No matter how many times Jesus says, it's about me, it's about my strength, a lot of times we just continue to cling to the hope that it's really about me and my strength, that I can really accomplish this thing. And so here the disciples, I think, in some faint way, continue to cling to this thing that we're still going to have power, we're still going to reign. And Jesus comes to them and he says, he says the exact opposite. Not, let's go get them, guys. You know, raise the banner, we're going to war. What's he say? Peace be with you. And so I think there is a, a real possible possibility for deception in our own lives or, from, or believing things where we just continue to cling to something that's not of God and I'm not saying so much um, a direction such as, you know, I'm called to, to do church planning with this people group, but, but more of maybe the way it's done or maybe the way how God works through those things. And Jesus is just amazing. And God is amazing how he just gently, if you look through the Gospels, how he just gently reminded his disciples time and time and time again, who, are, who am I? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. No, that's not possible. I'm going to die. That's not possible. And they couldn't see that. So we have this possibility of, of clinging to a plan. And, and I think only by being in the presence of Christ and being, listening to him carefully can we continue to be reminded of what his plan really is and how we might accomplish that plan in his way and not our own. And one example of this is later on he says, again he says in verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And if you really think about it, God sent Jesus to die for the sake of others. And so Jesus was saying, I'm sending you to die for the sake of others, which was really contrary to any good, you know, revolutionaries don't go to die, they go to win, right? You can't do much if you're dead. So Jesus again reminds them that, that, um, that they were blind to his, his plan. In closing, I want to take some time to pray, to just invite the Lord to... Um, to just, just to ask God again in any area of our life that maybe we are blind to. And blind spots are real because we're blind to them. We don't know they're there. If you're driving along a highway, there's a blind spot there. And you might say there's no such thing as a blind spot. But if you swerve over there and there happens to be a vehicle there, you'll find very quickly that there's a blind spot there. And the reason I use that illustration is because I really believe that one of the ways that we are protected from blind spots in our lives and protected from deception is the confessing community of believers. It's, it's when you're with other people and when you, you might think, I'm a really nice guy, I'm, I'm really gentle and I'm kind, but as soon as you bump into someone in the church who is somewhere where you don't expect them to be, or who shows up in one of your blind spots, 
that's when you realize you have the blind spot. So being in a church community, being in a, in a fellowship is absolutely critical to avoiding some of these deceptions in our lives. And I want to share one more thing about the mercy of God. You know, in looking back at your life, maybe you look back at your life and say, wow, there's, there's, these, um, there's these deceptions that I've had and, and that's a terrible loss. I'm amazed at the mercy of God in the Old Testament with some of the deception that people fell into. Here's a, here's a passage. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where it is right now because there will be all this flipping and, and stuff. It's just in the Old Testament. It happens many times. It goes something like this. But the high places were not removed from Israel. This is talking about King Asa. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was blameless all his days. So Asa lived with this deception in his life because he was king. It just took one word and he could have banished all those high places and that would have been done. And we think, how in the world could God say in the scriptures recorded that he was blameless all of his days when he lived with this glaring blind spot? And I think that just shows that God is merciful with us. That even when we do have blind spots, I mean, he would wish and he would want that we remove those and take care of those things. But even if those things are still there, he is still merciful. And that's just amazing to me. I know I've gone, just as I gave you the illustration about my brother, there have been other times in my life where I've gone a long time believing something that wasn't true. And, you know, God in his mercy still loved me and still dealt with me there. He doesn't, he doesn't um, expect that every blind spot immediately is gone. And he's kind enough, if you stick with him and keep listening, to continue to reveal those things gently and in his time. So I'm going to pray for us and then I want to give you a minute or two just to ask God. Um, And I have no agenda in this. I don't think, uh, I didn't speak this message because I think that you guys are all self-deceived and something like that. Not at all. It's just because God has been teaching me this and it's my desire that the Church of God be just more just listening to Christ and be in an open, fresh relationship with Him. So let me pray and then I'll just give us a couple minutes and then I'll close this in prayer again. Jesus, we thank you so much for your example in the Gospels of continuing to speak truth to your disciples who were sometimes stubborn and sometimes rebellious and sometimes they were men of little faith. And we thank you so much, Jesus, that you constantly came back to them, that you asked Peter who you were and then you came back to Peter on the lakeshore after he had denied you and in his own self-deception believed that his life was more valuable than telling the truth about his relationship with you. So Jesus, we thank you that you are kind to us that way. And we thank you that you promise and and are, are there to show us where we fall short sometimes and to invite us into a completely open and honest relationship with you and with our fellow believers, with our children, with those that are around us in our life. So we thank you, God, so much for that. And we ask that you would come in, the, in our lives and we invite you right now to come and to to uh, teach us something about yourself maybe or to encourage us in our growth.
So Lord God, we, we just thank you once again for your grace to all of us. We just invite you in the days and weeks to come to continue to speak to us. Give us ears that really hear. Um, give us questioning minds to, to, to ask questions of the scripture, to see the scripture in ways that um, you would have us see them. Give us the ability to see your working in our lives and your working in other people's lives, even in ways where, where we may have ruled that out. Give us the ability to live... Uh, with each other as you work in each other's lives and maybe ways where we don't think that you work that way or we don't think that you do um, such a thing. Thank you, God, so much for this day. We just pray that you'd be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you all. I could have the worship band come up. And... um, We'll, we'll sing a worship song, and I think we will. I'll have them sing. And uh, if uh, anybody has something you'd like to share, it's kind of the end of a year. Uh, we'll give a minute. We'll sing one song. One song. Uh, they're back there. Uh, guys, can you load up? Open the eyes of my heart. We've moved. They've moved. Yeah, so we'll do, we'll do Okay, so we'll sing, uh, we'll sing uh, through Open the Eyes of My Heart once. If God puts something on your heart to share as a testimony, we'll have a couple of minutes to do that, and then we'll close with worship again. Oh,